This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Later in the show, we'll have a visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen. But first, Jack Webb as Sergeant Joe Friday takes center stage. Jack Webb was an American actor, television producer, director, and screenwriter who is most famous for his role as Sergeant Joe Friday in the Dragnet franchise, which he created. Now, here's an interesting little tidbit. Following his discharge from the Army, he moved to San Francisco, where a wartime shortage of announcers led to a temporary appointment to his own radio show on ABC. But here's the strange part. The Jack Webb Show was a half-hour comedy. <laughs> I'm not surprised it had a limited run. Uh, Webb had a featured role in a crime lab tech, as a uh, crime lab technician in the 1948 film He Walked by Night that was based on the real-life murder of a California Highway Patrol officer, Erwin Walker. Now, the film was produced in semi-documentary style with technical assistance provided by Detective Sergeant Marty Wynn of the LAPD. He Walked by Night, thinly veiled, fictionalized recounting of the crime spree, gave Webb the idea for Dragnet, a recurring series based on real cases from the Los Angeles Department files, and Webb was a stickler for detail. He believed viewers wanted realism and tried to give it to them. He had tremendous respect for those in law enforcement. In announcing his vision of Dragnet, Webb said he intended to perform a service for the police by showing them as low-key working-class heroes. Dragnet became a successful television show in 1952 and continued until 1959. In this 1949 episode, we get to meet Sergeant Joe Friday's mum, who is concerned about his health because of long hours spent at a stakeout. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. <laughs> Detective Sergeant, you're assigned to homicide detail. For two months, a depraved criminal has been at work in your city. Men and women have been robbed, brutally attacked. Your job, get them. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department... You will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. 
Wednesday, March 7th. It was cloudy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way home from the office, and it was 2.25 a.m. when I got to Collis Avenue. Number 4656. Jim? What, you? Yeah, Ma. I wake you? What time is it? A little after two. Oh, you can't keep this up. You've got to have your bed. Don't worry, I'm okay. Got any cold meat in the icebox? There's some pressed ham, a few slices of bologna. Didn't you have any dinner? A couple of hamburgers and a piece of pie. I got hungry again. I had some nice beef stew for dinner. There's some left in the icebox. I'll come down and warm it for you. No, no. All I want is a sandwich, Ma. You go on back to sleep. You can't live on pie and sandwiches and keep up your strength. Working all hours. First thing you know, you'll be getting sick. You need your food and you need your rest. Nobody cares when you're sick. You didn't have to get up, Ma. All I want is a sandwich. I can fix it. You better have a bowl full of stew. Here. I'll take a minute to warm it up. Nice new potatoes in it. Some of those onions you like, too. White Bermudas. Okay, not too much now. I'll get the milk. It's half past two in the morning. It kept you so late again. Another stakeout, same job. Another murder in Harlem Park? No, Ma, the badge band, the one that poses as a policeman. Oh, that one. Yeah. You certainly ought to do something about him. Yeah, well, I'm trying to. I can't find him. There was a piece in the paper about it tonight. They say it's just terrible the way he beats up people and robs them. Yeah. Badge bandit. The way he treats women. Ought to be a shame. They ought to put him away. Yeah. You got some more rye bread? Mm-hmm. Are you going to have tomorrow off, Joseph? Thanks. Nice. No. The captain says we work straight through till we get the guy. Mm. I thought you were going to have tomorrow off. Mm. You ought to tell the captain. You need your rest. You can't go on like this working all hours. You'll be coming down sick one of these days. Mm. Fifteen robberies, fifteen assaults, all in two months. Somebody's got to stop him. You ready? Oh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Can't they warn the people? They wouldn't be getting robbed and beaten up if they weren't parked in those lonely places. Spooning so silly. Yeah. I'm afraid we can't do anything about that, Ma. Quick place. We got a right to park there. Yeah, I suppose. Let me have your plate. Mm-hmm. No, hold it, hold it. That's fine. Well, another spoonful. You can't work if you don't eat. Mm-hmm. Mm. It is good stuff. Yeah, sure it is. But you're down at ShopRite's nice. His stewing beef's just wonderful. Mm-hmm, yeah. Ben worked late with you? Yeah, his wife's sore, too. He hasn't been home much since we started on this. It's a tough one. Oh, my. The times certainly have changed since I was a girl. All this robbing, beating up. Crazy people. Yeah. Any mail today? No, there's a couple of bills. When you set the alarm, I got to check back in at 8 in the morning. 8 o'clock? Why so early? Badge man has got two more victims tonight. They're college kids. Oh. Doctor says he didn't think we should talk to him tonight, so we'll have to see him tomorrow morning oh. at the hospital. Were they badly injured? Well, pretty bad. The boy took a terrible beating. The girl was attacked, same as the others. Oh, my. Well, it's very good, Ma. I better get to bed. Yes, well, your face looks so thin. You need all the rest you can get. I'll get it. Oh, 
can that be? It's almost three in the morning. Hello? This is Lorman down Homicide, Joe. Sorry to bother you. Yeah, Lorman. What is it? Captain wants you and Romero to meet him in Hollywood and Laurel right away. What's the matter now? Attack and hold up in Laurel Canyon 20 minutes ago. Yeah? Got the area blocked off. Figure they got the man trapped. The victims get out and look at the guy? Same description. The badge matted. I left the house, went over and picked up Ben. We drove out to the edge of the Santa Monica Mountains where Hollywood Boulevard ends and Laurel Canyon begins. We headed back into the canyon to the blockaded area. Captain Steed from Homicide was there waiting for us. Hi, Skip. Hi, Taylor, call communications again. Have them tell the men out on Ventura to start moving in. Right, Captain. Sorry to call you back. Couldn't be helped. Okay. How's it shaping up? Commander's search detail in vicinity of Laurel Canyon. Unit 62K reports that they are at Mulholland Drive and Oakstone Avenue. Nothing further to report. Okay, no what did you say, Joe? So how's it shaping up? Well, here's a sketch of the area. It covers just about all the Laurel Canyon district. Yeah. Badge Bandit got his victims near the top of this hill here. Mm-hmm. Old man in the neighborhood heard a woman scream and phoned in. How sure are we the guy didn't get away? Well, the man who called in said the bandit had trouble starting his car. Finally, he left it and took off into the brush. He was headed west down this road here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just had a call from the communications. The crew from Leighton Prince are on the way. All right, any report from the detail up on Canyon Road? Nothing yet. I'll stand by the radio. Okay. How much area we got to cover? Now, from the mouth of the canyon here, all the way back to Ventura Boulevard. On the west here, from Lookout Mountain Avenue over to Crestview Drive on the east. How much have we got to go on? Crowley talked to the victims for a minute before they took them to Georgia Street. Yeah. Guy's description is the same. Heavy set, blonde hair, chubby face, horn rimmed glasses. Mm-hmm. Well, if he's on foot, there's plenty of underbrush around here to hide him. Just a minute, I want to get this call in first. Taylor, have communications contact 72K. Tell them to hold their line stationary. Yep. Yeah. And have the others closed in from the west and the north. Right. You two better get up on Groveland Drive. Line's pretty thin up there. Olsen will use the help. Is that the area where you've been in the car? Yeah. I want you to cover all the houses in that area. Check with everybody you can find the neighborhood. They may be able to help. If they don't answer, find out why. Okay. I'll be making the rounds in another ten minutes. Check with you then. All right. Let's go, oh, Joe. one more thing. Yes, sir? I'll tell you what I told the rest of the men. This guy's in a corner and he's got a gun. There's only one way out for him. Yeah. Make sure it's not you. a.m. Ben and I drove up to Groveland Drive and joined the search. We started our house-to-house canvas of the neighborhood where the suspect had abandoned his car. None of the residents had any further information to give us. 4 a.m. We kept on checking. 23 hours. Long shift. Yeah. I could use some sleep. Wife of mine is boiling mad. She's even mad at the kid. Yeah? What's the trouble? Oh, aunt of her sent down some flower bulbs from Oregon yesterday. Gladiola bulb. Yeah. Kid was playing with a little girl next door yesterday, and they found a box of flower bulbs. They put the mess of them in a pot of water and boiled them on the stove. What'd they do that for? Who knows? There's another house up ahead. We better check it. Yeah. We ought to get some street lights up here. Yeah. Nice work, working people up in the middle tonight. Oh, I don't like it any more than they do. Wish we could make them believe that. Hmm, nice neighborhood up here. I wonder what the price is on these lots. Well, it shouldn't be too high. They say real estate's coming down. Mm. Yeah, what is it? Police officers. Sorry to disturb you. We'd like to talk to you a minute. Oh, all right. Let me get the door open. 
What's been going on in the neighborhood tonight? Some kind of trouble? Cars racing up and down the hill? What's the trouble? Have you noticed any strangers in the neighborhood last hour? No, I just got to bed 20 minutes ago. I work out at Paramount. We're shooting nights. What's all the commotion, anyway? We're looking for a suspect. He's supposed to be around this area. Well, I haven't seen anybody. I thought I heard somebody out of the garage a few minutes ago. Went out and looked around, but I didn't see anything. Did you check to see if your car is still in the garage? No, I left it in the driveway. No, sir, there's no car in your driveway. Sure there is. Let me show you. Hey, it's gone. Can we use your phone? Yeah. Yeah, but I saw it just a few minutes ago. The, the, the car was right there in the driveway. You think that guy took my car? Yes, sir, it's a pretty good bet. You got your license number handy there? No, I don't remember it. I got it on a card in my wallet. Give me communication. Can you give us a description of your car? It's a Plymouth sedan, black. Two door sedan with search detail, Laurel Canyon. I've got some new information for all units in the details. Here's the license number. Oh, thanks. Now, will you broadcast this information to all units in the search detail? What was the make and model of your car? 46 Black Plymouth, a two-door sedan. Uh, 1946 Black Plymouth, two-door sedan, license number, let me see. Oh, 7 X-ray 2569. This car just been stolen from 10211 Groveland Drive. Any identifying marks on the car? Well, I left my keys in it. No, no, sir. I mean, any special markings on the car? Maybe a dent in one of the fenders? Well, Here, George, hold on. We're getting it. Uh, the right headlight went out on me last night. I haven't had it fixed yet. The right headlight on the car is out. Notify all units in the search detail that we believe suspect is now in possession of this car. Right, thank you. Let's go. Must have happened in the last 15 minutes. I heard that noise and I went out to check. The car was there then. Well, here's our card. We'll be checking with you later. Yeah, I sure hope you find it. I don't know how I can get to work tomorrow without my car. Yeah, we'll notify you. Yeah, gee, I sure hope you find it. Thanks for your help. Well, then. Two eleven Groveland Drive. The right headlight is out. I don't think he could have gotten that car through the blockade yet, you. Mm-hmm. Better start searching the side roads, huh? Yeah. There's one. Leading off to the left, up ahead. Okay, let's try it. Wait a minute, there's a car coming down the hill toward us. You're always making time. Yo. Only one headlight on the car. It's coming right at us. Turn around, quick. There's no room. Get over to the inside. I can't. It's too late. Ben, turn. Hang on. We're going over. Hey, attention, all units. Special attention, oh. all units. In search of the tail, of Kennedy of Laurel Canyon. 80K reports theft of a 1946... You all right? Ben. was called, and Ben and I were taken to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. There I received emergency treatment for multiple cuts and bruises and a sprained left shoulder. Ben didn't do so well. He had a possible concussion, two broken ribs, and a half a dozen severe cuts about the face and arms. We were then taken to the P&F ward. The next afternoon, we had a visit from Captain Steed and Chief of Detective Ad Brown. Friday, how you feeling? Oh, pretty good, Chief. You saw Romero across the hall. You came out better than he did. Yeah, that's what I hear. You resting any? Oh, much better. No danger involved. Need to rest, that's about all. How long? Oh, you'll be here two weeks, according to the doctor. What about you? A couple of days. Too bad, Joe. Badge bandit? Yeah. Looks like you two got banged up for nothing. Oh? After he rammed your car, he ditched the black Plymouth, and then we figure he hit with the underbrush. Yeah. Somehow, while we were hauling you and Ben out of that wreck, he slipped through the line. Any fingerprints on the car? No, only could you. 
It's rotten luck. I guess it was his night, huh? We're getting more men from Metro Division to help out. Mm -hmm. And we're doubling the number of decoys around the city. Police women, huh? We'll have each of them planted in a parked car along with an officer in every area of the badge bend that's been working. All he has to do is grab at the bait once. Yeah, if he goes for it. He'll have plenty of time to choose. We'll work the same setup every night till we reach him. It's a big operation. Might have to run it for weeks unless he quits. There's only one way a guy like that ever quits. Yeah. When we stop him. Saturday, March 10th at 2 p.m. I was released from the PNF ward and went home. Ben stayed on at the hospital. He had at least another 10 days to go before release. Sunday, I spent at home. Monday afternoon, I checked back in at the office, and Captain Steed put me on decoy duty for that week, along with policewoman Dorothy River. We were assigned to cover an isolated parking area near Mulholland Drive and Beverly Glen. It was a nice view, but the duty was slow. No sign on the badge bend. Policewoman River and I waited it out from late evening to early morning, from Monday through Thursday. Friday night came. Same thing. We waited. How's Ben? You see him today? Yeah, he's doing fine. Be out next week. Grouchy, I guess. Oh, sure. You want a cigarette? Thank you. You sure tell it's Friday night. Yeah. Mm, thanks. College kids are out in fourth. Mm-hmm. What time you got? Mm. Uh, quarter to two. Long nights. Yeah, slow. I'm cold. No, are you? Mm, just a little. It's chilly up here in the early morning. What's that? Car full of kids just pulling out. Are the cars gone too? Mm-hmm. We're the only ones left. Uh, stakeout's getting your nerves. So look, if you're cold, you can have my coat. It doesn't bother me. No, no, it's right, Joe. Thanks. It's a beautiful view from up here, isn't it? All the light. Yeah. You like to dance, Joe? What? They said you like to dance. Well, once in a while, I guess. I'm not too good. Why? Well, our club's having its big annual dance weeks from Saturday. Yeah. Might get a kick out of it. It's formal. Well, it leaves me out. I don't own a tux. Well, you could rent one. It'd be fun. Nah, I'm afraid I don't look good in a tux. I never met a man who thought he did. Why don't you try it? I might be working. Well, I mean, if you're not working, why don't you come? You going? Well, I was planning on it. Got a date? No, <laughs> yeah. I have hope. There's a car pulling in. Let's see. Yeah, parked over in back of us. I can only make out one person in the car. Yeah, looks like a man. I can't be sure. All right, come on, we're closer. We might as well look the part, huh? All right. He's getting out of the car. Is he coming this way? Walking over to the side of the road. He's got a flashlight. Looking around. He's built like the badge bandit. Short, heavy set. Yeah, he's turning around. He's got his flashlight on us. He's coming up on your side of the car. I take it easy. You know what to do. Come on, out of that car. Police officer. All right, hold on. Get a gun, Jim. Yeah, please. Come on, I said out of the car, both of you. All right. All right, drop the gun. Drop it. Tim. Yeah. I'll get the cuffs, honey. Thanks. I didn't think I hit him that hard. You didn't. I didn't. Policewoman Dorothy River and I took the suspect to Hollywood Division where he was booked on suspicion of robbery. 
He gave his name as Charles Leon Kirby, age 46. Monday, March 19th, Ben was released from the hospital and checked back in for work. A special show-up was held at which 10 of the 17 victims definitely identified Kirby as the badge bandit. The suspect had finally been apprehended. Now we started the slow process of formally charging the man and presenting our evidence against him to bring him to trial. 10 a.m., Ben and I went across the street to the sixth floor of the Hall of Justice to present our case against Kirby and to obtain a formal complaint against him. We met with Deputy District Attorney Broker. When did you get out of the hospital, Ben? This morning. Sure got sick of that play. Heard about your accident. That guy sure gave you enough trouble, didn't he? Yeah, he's still giving us trouble. How's that? He got in a tangle with another prisoner out in the Hollywood Division. Yeah? The other prisoner gave Kirby a pretty bad going over. Cut him up and broke his left forearm. They're moving him in an ambulance from Hollywood to the prison ward at the general hospital. When did this happen? Just this morning. I think they're moving him downtown now. Tough one. Now, how about your reports on Kirby? Are they all in order? Here's a summary report. Alleges ten positive identifications containing ten counts for robbery and ten counts of forcible rape. All right. Here are seven other crime reports. Only partial identification on these. Okay. What have you got for corroborating evidence against him? Oh, we went through Kirby's apartment. Found at least a dozen pieces of property that he took from his victims. Mm -hmm. Mostly watches and jewelry. The victims identified every piece we found. Okay, let me get the details on it. No. Excuse me a minute. Sure. Broker speaking. Yes, Smith. You, Friday. Thank you. Friday. When? Yeah, right away. Well, that does it. What's the matter? Kirby. He just spoke out of that ambulance. You are listening to Dragnet, the case history of a police investigation presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. As soon as word of Kirby's escape came through, the information was broadcast to all points. All available cruiser cars and men were rushed to the escape area, and a door-to-door canvas got underway. All of the men were given mug shots of Kirby together with his description. 11 a.m., Ben and I got back to the office on a message from Captain Steed to meet him in the chief of detective's office. Don't enter that area until further notice. Check the bus depots in the Union Station. Right. What's the story, Chief? That's what I'm trying to find out. Where do you make the break? Near 4th and Main. Couldn't have picked a better spot. The ambulance had just crossed 3rd and Main when Kirby slugged the guard. The driver was too busy dodging traffic to notice what was going on in back. That's a lousy make. Kirby jumped out of the back end of the ambulance and disappeared in the crowd. No sign of him since. That's fine. Takes us almost three months to reach the guy, and he breaks away on a cheap loop like that. Well, he doesn't have many friends in town. He's only got one we know of. Mm, Yeah. A brother. Kirby stays with him pretty often from what we could gather. His brother lives in a rooming house down on Alameda. Anybody checked that yet? We've got it staked out. The brother works at a box factory in the south end of town. That's covered, too. And he's not going far with a broken arm. What have you got? One shop rolled up 6th Street. Happened a few minutes ago. Yeah. Here's the description of the whole man. Mm. Stocky bill, blonde hair, horn-rimmed glasses, chubby. You were wrong about that broken arm. Come on. 11.20 a.m. Ben and I pulled up at the East Asia pawn shop on 6th Street. Inside, we found the proprietor, Morris Brubaker, lying propped up against one of the showcases. He was an elderly man, and his face and head showed the marks of a savage beating. His wounds were hemorrhaging badly, and the ambulance attendants were giving him first aid. We showed him Charles Kirby's mugshot. That's the man. I wouldn't make a mistake, that's him. Was he alone, Mr. Brubaker? Uh, yes, by himself. He has to look at a watch, and when I turned to get it, he kicked me. Uh, I fell against the showcase and cut myself. He pulled me in the back room. I didn't even know him. He kept beating me. Easy, Mr. Rebecca. Let me get this conference. 
How much did he get away with, do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. A blue suit, blue overcoat, wrap around, and navy blue both. He, he kept hitting All me. All right, sir, just take it easy. They'll have you out of here in a minute. He kept hitting me like a crazy man. This is antiseptic. Might sting a little. Okay. What else did he take, Mr. Brubaker? Can you remember? Uh, yes. Uh, from the cash register, he took money. How much? Thirteen forty dollars I can't be sure. When he left your store, did you see which way he was going? Uh, no, he, he he dragged me in the back room. He locked me in. Ready to move now, Sergeant? Okay. I don't know. I, I, I saw him going through the shelves there in the back of the counter. I, I don't know. What'd you keep there? My account books and my gun. A box of shelves, too. You want to take a look, Ben? Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. Just take it easy. It's only going to be a minute. The account books are still there. Yeah. He got the gun. 4 p.m. Kirby, alias the Badge Bandit, was still at large. As far as we were concerned, the case was almost back to where it started from 11 weeks before. The suspect was still loose. He was well-armed. He was still free to rob, assault, or murder. We had two big advantages. Kirby's possible broken arm, which would need medical attention, and secondly, the lead to Kirby's brother. At 5.30 p.m., we had a report that the suspect was seen purchasing a ticket at a theater box office out on Hollywood Boulevard. We ran it down. It didn't pay off. At 6.15, a taxi driver thought he spotted Kirby boarding an outbound streetcar at Figaro and Pico. was checked out. No results. At 7 o'clock, Ben and I got something to eat at a drive-in, and we relieved the men on stakeout at the rooming house on Alameda Street, where Kirby's brother was staying. 10 p.m. Midnight. No sign of Kirby. We waited. At 3 a.m., Hanson and Cummings of Homicide relieved us, and Ben drove me home. It was 3.45 when he dropped me off at Collis Avenue, number 4656. Joseph, that you? Yeah, Ma, I didn't mean to wake you. What time is it? Almost four. Oh, my. These late hours, you've got to get your rest, Joseph. We'll be all right, Ma. Got something to eat in the icebox? Just want a sandwich. You're going back to sleep. I had some nice meatballs and spaghetti for dinner. I can warm some for you. My, I was standing working all hours. You just get sick, Joseph, and you'll see. Nobody cares about you when you're sick. I wish you wouldn't get up, Ma. I can fix something. Well, warm up the meatballs and spaghetti. You need something substantial. I get it. 4 a.m. I hope it's not that awful. Hello? Lorman down homicide. Yeah, Lorman. Thought you'd like to know they just got Kirby. Where? At his brother's place about 15 minutes ago. Hanson and Cummings grabbed him. Any trouble? No. Grabbed him before he got to his gun. We just locked him up. Thought you'd like to know. Yeah. Thanks, Lorman. Night. Night. Well, that wasn't Joseph. The office, Ma. He got Kirby, the badge band. Oh, did they? Well, that's nice. Maybe you'll have some time off now. Yeah. Never fails, does it? You work on a case for three months. Leave it for 30 minutes and it's all over. Well, the food's warm. Is there anything else you want? No, no, that's fine, Mom. You go on to bed. Yeah. Well, all right, Joseph. You don't stay up too long. All right. Good night. Good night. Hey, Ma. Yes, Joseph? Have I still got that old tuxedo around?
story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On June 27th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 87, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. Charles Leon Kirby, alias the Badge Bandit, was tried and convicted in Superior Court on several counts of armed robbery, rape, and assault with intent to commit murder. He was sentenced to life imprisonment. After serving one year in the state penitentiary, he was judged insane and committed to the state mental hospital at Mendocino. After two months there, he escaped. Charles Kirby, alias the Badge Bandit, is still at large. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for George Burns and Gracie Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the Burns and Allen Show. Starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. Here's Meredith Wilson with his chiffon arrangement of If I Loved You.
Burns home today, we find George and Gracie discussing the problems of their next-door neighbor, Meredith Wilson. So, Meredith is going to drop over, George. He has a date tonight, and I want you to give him some advice about women. What? Again? <laughs> Why doesn't his father have a talk with him? Oh, 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 his father is even shyer with women than Meredith. Oh, so he got a shyness from his father. Yes, and it not only affected Meredith, but his ten brothers and fourteen sisters. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think I'm the one to advise him about women. Oh, I bet you know plenty about women, George Burns. I wouldn't be surprised if you used to be quite a ladies' man. Me? Oh, a little, maybe. You handsome rascal. I'll bet you were plenty of competition for Francis X. Bushman. <laughs> yeah, took plenty of dames away from George Ellis, too. Well, don't tell me you don't know anything about women. I knew the first time I kissed you that you'd been kissed before. You were dynamite. <laughs> really? Sure. You kissed almost as good as I did. Thanks. So you will have a talk with Meredith? Well, I guess it is sort of selfish of me to keep all my vast knowledge about women to myself. They didn't used to call me Volcano Lips for nothing. <laughs> Why, you've forgotten more about love than most men ever knew. Yeah, I guess I have. I wish you could remember a little of it. <laughs> I'll try. Oh, this must be Meredith. Come in. Howdy, folks. Hello, Meredith. Gracie tells me you have a date tonight, Meredith. I surely have. Her name is uh, Peggy, and I'm awful anxious to make a good impression, so I thought I'd like to get some advice from the old master himself. Well, you've come to the right place. Yeah, I know Bill Goodwin usually drops in. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith, it's possible that I can tell you some things about women. Oh, well, thanks, George, but you probably just heard the same rumors I have. Well, listen, Meredith, uh, no amount of talking about women is going to take the place of experience. You ought to get out and rub elbows with them. Is that fun? <laughs> it's keen. Hi, folks. Oh, hello, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hello, Master. Hi, Meredith. Say, Bill, I've got a date with a girl tonight, and and I wish you'd please give me some now, advice. Now, some time, please, Meredith. I've got a big problem of my own right now. But, Bill, I... Meredith, I'm sorry. I've got something on my mind right now beside women. I see him later, Meredith, when he's thinking normally again. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'll drop back What's up, Bill? Yes, it must be pretty important if you refuse to talk about women. Gracie, I don't think only about women. I think of my career, too. That's what this is about. I want fame and success and lots of money. Well, of course you do. Sure. Look at the women I'll be able to get. <laughs> Bill, suppose you tell us what this is all about. Well, George, there's a part open at my studio that I'm dying to get. It's in a picture called Love in a Cottage. And who do you think I'd be playing opposite? Ingrid Bergman. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine Ingrid Bergman and me playing opposite each other? What an opportunity. What a chance to become the biggest picture name in the country. Well, sure. And, of course, it'll help me, too. <laughs> He's murder, isn't he? Well, Bill, what's the matter? Can't you get the part? Well, I don't know, Gracie. You see, the producer, Mr. Sherwood, is one of these guys who believes in realism. The part is a married man, and 
He feels only a married man could play it. Well, there's only one answer, Bill. Get married. Well, sure, pick out one of the girls you're engaged to and surprise her. <laughs> no, I thought of a better way, Gracie. I told the producer that I was married, that I already have a wife. What? Well, yeah, I've even invited him to dinner tonight, so now i got to produce a wife. You don't know where I could borrow one, do you? Well, no, I'm afraid I... Come in. Good afternoon, Mrs. Burns. <laughs> oh, thank you, Mr. Postman. Did I interrupt a family conference? Oh, no, no. We're trying to help Mr. Goodwin. He wants to borrow somebody's wife. Oh, but Mr. Goodwin's just sort of a wolf. If he borrowed a wife, he might keep her. No, no, I wouldn't. Darn it, I was going to lend you mine. <laughs> no, no thanks, Mr. Postman. Not even if I threw in a week's salary? <laughs> no. My government pension? Nope. No matter what shape she's returned in, I won't ask for a refund. <laughs> no, we better forget it. I don't understand you, Mr. Postman. If you're that anxious to get rid of your wife, why did you ever marry her? Oh, I was young, and it was spring. The hollyhocks were blooming, and the chickadees were singing. <laughs> Since then, I've been arrested a dozen times for pulling up hollyhocks and throwing them at chickadees. <laughs> well, Mr. Postman, I'd like to oblige, but you know how it is. Yes, I know. I'm stuck with my mail bag and that female, too. <laughs> Well, goodbye. Remember, keep smiling. <laughs> well, Bill, I guess you'll have to look somewhere else for a wife. Well, I was, uh, I was sort of hoping that you'd play the part, Gracie. Me? Well, yes, we could invite the producer here for dinner. I don't think much of the idea. Oh, neither do I, Bill. Oh, you better forget it. Okay, Gracie, I just picked you because I wanted the producer to think my wife was as charming as Ingrid Bergman. Well, I'll be running along. As charming as Ingrid Bergman? Oh, yes. And just as beautiful. Well, I'll be running along. I'm as beautiful as she? Oh, sure. And even more talented. Well, I'll be running along. More talented than Ingrid Bergman, me? Well, easily. Well, I'll be... Oh, sit down, Bill. <laughs> uh, what's your hurry? Then you'll do it? Well, yes. You can call the producer and invite him here for dinner. <laughs> I already did. <laughs> well, I'll run home and get dressed. See you later, wifey dear. Here's Meredith Wilson and his chiffon arrangement of that top tune, Till the End of Time.
these down. You let Bill flatter you into it. Imagine going for that line of boy. Well, I... Anyone who falls for flattery is a dope. Besides, what'll I do while Bill is your husband? Hide in the attic? Well, no. You can be our butler. Butler? Nothing doing. Oh, all right, dear. I just wanted to show Bill that you're a finer actor than Charles Lawson. That's all, but forget it. Me? <laughs> finer than Lawton? Oh, yes, and much more convincing. But that's all right. Forget it. More convincing? I am? Well, of course. No one could play an English butler like you could, but forget it. Don't try to talk me out of this part. <laughs> uh, Blimey, Governor, the bloomin' dinner is safe. Shall I pass the tomatoes? Ah, oh, then you'll do it. Uh, quite, quite, old bean. Frightfully amusing and all that sort of rock. Ah, oh, you cute. <laughs> now, Bill, if you hope to convince this movie producer that you're married, you better have some lessons in how to act like a husband. Oh, Gracie, I don't need any lessons. Well, I'd better try you out. Now, I'm your wife, and I say, um, do you love me, darling? Yes. Yes, my dutiful queen. I love you deeply, devotedly, tenderly, passionately, and I shall always love you. You're the singlest man I ever saw. <laughs> now, I'll show you how a husband answers that question. George is in the den reading the paper. George? Huh? Do you love me, darling? Uh-huh. Close the door. Well, see what I mean? Gee, the little man's a ball of fire, isn't he? Are all husbands like that? Oh, no, not right away. The first year, they sit across the breakfast table and tell you how beautiful you are. That lasts until the first anniversary. Oh, I see. I think that's why they call it the paper anniversary. From then on, they'd rather read the paper. <laughs> Say, what time is the producer coming to dinner? Well, Mr. Sherwood will be here at 7.30, George, which means you'd better hurry and teach Bill how to act like a husband. <clears throat> well, it's very simple, Bill. Now, go outside and come in like you're a husband, uh, a husband coming, coming to dinner. Okay. Darling. Dearest. Here's a big hug and kiss from your loving husband. Mmm. Uh, we better run through that again. <laughs> Here's a big hug and kiss from your loving husband. Mmm. Uh, once more. Grace, I don't like this. How do you know you never tried it? <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Get on with the scene. And, Bill, try to remember that you're a tired, hungry husband coming home after a hard day's work. Don't be so agreeable. Oh, okay. What do we got for dinner, wife? Oh, we're having the most wonderful dinner, dear. First, there's caviar. Ah, uh, now you're working. <laughs> then, uh, turtle soup. Ah. Uh. Then, pheasant under glass. Ah. Uh. Then, crepe suzette. Okay, that's enough rehearsal. <laughs> Come in. I've been waiting in a little old car for an hour now, Dimple Tony. Dimple Tony? Well, that's me. 
I'm, uh, I'm sorry, baby. Folks, I'd like you to meet the one and only girl, the girl I really love, Miss, um... What's your name again, kid? Cynthia Lou Culpepper. Oh, that's right. Glad to meet you, Cynthia Lou. Oh, the pleasure's mine, sir. I've always wanted to meet Bill's father. (laughs) And this common lady must be Bill's sister. Oh, no, no. I'm his wife. His wife? Well, uh, just temporarily. You see, I was George's wife until Bill came in. And now I'm Bill's wife this evening. But tomorrow, I'll be George's wife again, and Ingrid Bergman will be Bill's wife. But when they finish Love in the Cottage, maybe you'll be his wife. Just remember, this is Hollywood. (laughs) Well, it certainly is living up to its reputation. I'll see you later, Mr. Dimples Goodwin. Wait, Cynthia Lou. Unhand me, you... you Yankee. (laughs) Holy smoke, now I am in trouble. What a mess. Oh, gee, I'm glad you're still here, Bill. Will you give me some advice now, will you, Bill? Huh, huh? Please, now Bill, will you? Huh, Bill, please? Huh, huh? Later, Meredith. Later. I'm well, busy. Bill, just tell me the first thing I should say to Peggy tonight. Oh, go jump in the lake. Gee, why couldn't I have thought of that? Better hurry up and get dressed, Gracie. That producer will be here any minute. Oh, yes, dear. Give me a hand with this, girl, will you, dear? It's so tight. Okay. Oh, one more pull. There. Oh, darling, it makes you look wonderful. <laughs> well, I knew it was the only way I'd ever get those tuxedo pants to fit me. Haven't worn them for ten years. Oh, how about it? Can you get them fastened? Nope. They don't quite reach. Well, here, I'll help you. Uh, Pull in your tummy. Okay. No, pull in your chest. Okay. No, pull in your tummy. Okay. No. Why don't you make up your mind? Well, I can't tell which is which. (laughs) I should never have agreed to do this. I'm worried about the part of the butler. Yeah, me too. The part that won't fit into these pants. (laughs) Now, uh, take a deep breath, dear. Let's try it again. There, there, I got it. But for heaven's sakes, George, whatever you do, don't bend over. Don't worry. Oh, dear, that may be Mr. Sherwood already. Slip on your coat. Hmm. But what'll we do? Bill isn't back yet. Oh, that's perfectly up. How do you do? I'm Lawrence Sherwood, the movie producer. Oh, how do you do? Um, come right in, Mr. Sherwood. I'm Mrs. Goodwin. Uh, Burns, take Mr. Sherwood's hat. Yes, madam. Oh, oh, how clumsy of me. I dropped it. I'll pick it up. (laughs) Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, you ripped your pants, sweetheart. Did you call the butler sweetheart? Oh, I meant Burns. Excuse me, Mr. Sherwood. I'll, uh, have to take him in and put some different pants on him. (laughs) Hmm. I wonder if Bill knows about this. Well, that was a delightful dinner, Mrs. Goodwin. Mrs. Good... Oh, oh, yes. Well, thank you. Um, you may clear the table, Burns. 
Very good, madam. Um, hubby dear, take Mr. Sherwood into the living room, and I'll have Vern serve the coffee in there. All right, lovey dove. Ah, it's a charming place, yeah. Well, George, the dinner went off without a hitch. Now, uh, bring in the coffee and uh, some brandy, too, into the living room. Now, wait a minute. I've only got one bottle of brandy, and I've been saving it for ten years. Bring it in, dear. But we never say brandy after dinner. Maybe you Burnses don't, but we good ones know how to live. <laughs> well, I'm not going to let those two guys drink up my precious brandy. But look what's at stake, dear. A pot opposite Ingrid Bergman. And just think of her, George. Beautiful, luscious, divine Ingrid Bergman. Now, how about the brandy? Bergman can have a drink, but not those two guys. George, have I ever forced you to do anything against your will? Yes. Well, I'm still at it. Bring in the brand. <laughs> yes, and I'm really settled down. Yes, sir, Mr. Sherwood, there's nothing like being a family man. Oh, you're right, Bill. And if I may say so, you've a mighty pretty young wife. Well, of course you may say so, Mr. Sherwood. <laughs> After all, you're a guest. Uh... Thank you. But I'm not really as young as I look. I'm way over 20. <laughs> really? Oh, yes. Weeks and weeks. <laughs> oh, uh, Burns, we're waiting. The brandy, madam. <laughs> well, don't just stand there, Burns. Offer some to Mr. Sherwood. Yes, madam. You wouldn't want any of this brandy, would you, Mr. Sherwood? <laughs> Why, I wouldn't mind a little. I wouldn't take too much. It's lousy. <laughs> Why, Burns, you let Mr. Sherwood have some of that brandy. Certainly, and take all you want, Mr. Sherwood. There's nothing cheap about us Goodwins. Hand Mr. Sherwood the bottle, Burns. Yes, sir. Very good, sir. Well, uh, don't you want any, sweetheart? Certainly I do, but he'll drink up all the brandy. <laughs> My husband. Oh, uh, <clears throat> beg pardon, madam. Um, don't you want any, sweetheart? Well, I'll have a drop or so, lover. When Mr. Sherwood has had his, I'll finish the bottle. What? <laughs> Burns, bring us a box of cigars. Cigars? Yes, they're in the sideboard in the dining room, the second floor. I drawer... know where they are. <laughs> Rather odd sort of fellow, that butler. Well, yes, isn't he, though? I notice you and he keep referring to each other as sweetheart. Yeah, oh, that. Oh, well, you know what you have to do to keep health these days. <laughs> now, Mr. Sherwood, about that picture, Love in a Cottage. Oh, I yes, think... I'm glad you brought that up. You know, Bill, when you told me that you were married and settled down, I didn't believe it. You see, I had heard that you were a wolf. A wolf? Lover, what's a wolf? <laughs> oh, he's so innocent. A wolf, Billy Boy, is a man who stands on street corners and whistles at girls. What for? <laughs> well, darling, so they'll get in his car and he can hug them and kiss them. Oh, oh, any man who'd do that should be run out of Hollywood. Well, it's... Would be a pretty dull place with just women. Yes, yes. Yes, you wouldn't want to be the only man left among thousands of women. <laughs> oh, no, no, of course I would. I have 
I've never looked at any woman except my dear, sweet wife. Come in. Bill, you just got to give me that advice. It's getting late. Oh, not now, Meredith. We have a guest. Oh. Well, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt, sir, but I need Bill's help. You see, he's got so many girls. Girls? Bill? Uh, uh, didn't Bill tell you about our girls? Oh, no, darn it. It slipped my mind. Well, well, how many have you got? Two. Four. How many? Four. Two. <laughs> well, just don't let him kid you. Now, Bill's got a whole lot more than that. Really? And how old are well, most of them are around 18. 18? <laughs> Mrs. Goodwin, you just said that you were barely over 20. How could you have daughters 18? Well, um, once we got married, we decided not to wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say, uh, I don't exactly know what's going on here, but uh, I just... Came to get some advice from the biggest wolf in Hollywood. And just who is that? Cigars? Jerry Sands. <laughs> Burns the homewrecker. Huh? Uh, Mr. Wilson wants some advice from you, Burns. But take him out of here, you lady killer. I don't want my husband to hear that kind of talk. But you... Quickly, Burns. Take him out. I don't want my ears soiled. Okay. <laughs> oh, that butler is such a wolf. Yeah. So now you understand what Mr. Wilson was talking about. All but one thing. Those grown daughters. Oh, uh, well, they're not really grown. Um, one's two and the other's three. But Mr. Wilson said there were 18. Oh, well, they're a little large for their age. <laughs> Where are they now? I'd, I'd like to see them. Uh... Well, we have them in uh, boarding school. Yes, yes. We feel that every child should learn how to board. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, two children. You really are settled down, aren't you, Bill? Oh, oh you bet, Mr. Sherwood. Now, about that picture, Love in a Cottage, Oh, I... yes, I'm glad you mentioned it. Now that I see you're really happily married, I think that... Come in. Now, looky here. Poor little old me has been kicked around. All poor little old me can stand. Uh oh, poor little old us. <laughs> I demand that Dimples marry me right away. Dimples? Who's Dimples? Cigars? Well, really, Burns. This is too much. Huh? You take this girl right out and marry her. <laughs> marry her? Now, see here. Get going, Dimples. Okay. <laughs> oh, what a man Does this sort of thing happen often? Oh, constantly Why, Burns is responsible for half the women on Mr. Anthony's program <laughs> Yes, really, dear, you must fire that awful chaser He may lead me astray Now, about the lead in your picture, Mr. Sherwood No, it's I... all settled, Bill I found the perfect leading man Oh, good, good And, um, who is he, Mr. Sherwood? Cigars? There he stands, Burns the butler Huh? 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 But I thought I'd get the lead in love in a cottage That's what I've been trying to tell you, Bill huh? We're not making love in a cottage Instead, we're doing a picture called On the Prowl The story of a wolf And Burns is just the type Oh, no <laughs> I'm going to be in pictures? You'll be the new Van Johnson, the heartthrob of every American woman. You mean he'll be making a movie star salary from now on? Until he's too old to walk before a camera. Oh, George, what a wonderful year we have ahead of us. 
Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Saint, followed by Abbott and Costello. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.